Hello and welcome to Act Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are finally talking about the final book in Maggie Stiefvater's Dreamer trilogy, Grey Warren. And it's been a fucking minute and we've heard all of your pleas. <laughs> we are here. It's been more than a minute. It's been a really long time. This book came out almost 10 months ago and we're finally here but listen some life things came up and we really just wanted to like make sure we were in a place to kind of do this justice and hopefully we do do justice today but as you know if you've listened to our Raven Cycle coverage before like that was the whole impetus for this podcast Mm -hmm. we spent a lot a lot of time on our Raven Cycle and our first uh dreamer um episodes and we uh, did not want to just like phone this one in. And so it took us some time to finally like be willing and able to go back to this book. But we did. And I'm so glad we waited, honestly, because I, I really too. felt like I came to it with a very in, in a very good place. Not that yeah. like I didn't have a good experience reading it the first time I did, but like I just felt like I was really ready to like digest it yeah, for what it was, which is the end of the seven book saga that we really love so i'm really excited to talk about it buckle buckle in everybody yeah this is gonna be a long one but you asked for it so yeah you did um before we dive into that since it has been a fucking minute since we have done this <laughs> um Tato, what are you into these days what are your obsessions and i'm gonna say here that i didn't write any down because as always we're obsessing over the same things yeah that tracks gonna like retweet a lot of this but why don't you get started i'll chime in all right so um one of my more recent ones and actually this is one that i put you on corinne um which was the seven year slip by Mm -hmm. ashley poston and Mm -hmm. so i've only read two ashley poston books the other one was the dead romantics and you know she she likes uh I don't want to call it a gimmick because that seems kind of derogatory, but it is yeah. kind of a gimmick. There is a premise here, but mm-hmm. I think she works this premise really well. It's kind of like a, it's like a time slip kind of alternating timelines, but also a current timeline at the same time, just a really great contemporary romance with like a little bit of a magical sprinkle on it. And I really loved it. This was like a, a book hero that I'm a huge fan of. I really like her writing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not super, super spicy. If you're not like into, you know, the hardcore smutty types of romance novels, this one is a good one to kind of ease into. Um, It's just really, it was really nice. And I'm still thinking about it like a couple weeks later. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. I was like waiting for it from the library and like based on your rave reviews in front mm-hmm. of the pod Jesse's rave reviews I just like purchased it for myself because I yeah. felt I needed a treat and we it was a treat you into making that <laughs> yeah pressing the purchase it's never button, like but... really that hard to convince me it's but not. I've been doing really well with using the library after a couple of years of just you know treating myself I don't I don't know why was there something going on in the world that like any constant <laughs> treats I don't know um but anyway it was well worth it it's not like a perfect book there's things that in other books and other lesser books I guess I would say things that happen in it that I would be like I hate this book because this thing I don't know that I agree with this but like mm-hmm. with seven years left I'm like 
I'm here for the vibes and the vibes are exquisite. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to overlook some things that I would call out uh, in other books. So, uh, but yeah, it was such a treat. I loved it. It was. Can I talk about this next one that you've listed here? You absolutely can. You put me on this one. Yeah. So we've talked about this before. Both you and I love an angsty, pining, pain-driven romance. And Mm -hmm. I went in search for something to scratch that itch for myself um, a couple of months ago, particularly in the historical romance genre. And I was led to the historical romance novels written by Sherry Thomas. Sherry Thomas is most popularly known for her Lady Sherlock series, which has, I think, seven books out now. Um, So she's being very prolific in that space. And those are a Sherlock Holmes retelling. So they are historical fiction. There is a very uh, minor romance within those books that is angsty and her writing is really great. So when I heard that her historical romances, which she doesn't really write anymore, were often pretty angsty, I was all ready to try those out Um, because I've read only the first 1.5 books in the Lady Sherlock series, but I I liked it and and wanted to continue and didn't for reasons. But I'm now back on that because I did dive into some of her historical romances and they were so freaking good. The the one I love the best, though, that I told you you absolutely need to read was called Not Quite a Husband. And unlike uh, what you might think of uh, when it comes to historical romances, um, like being set in England, like Bridgerton, this has like a little bit more of a unique setting. It's set in India and it's about this couple who were married, but their marriage has been annulled and he is sent to India to find her because her father uh, is sick and she needs to come back to England. And so they travel back together and it's told in alternating timelines between the present day and then the their initial uh, starting of their relationship and the demise of their relationship several years prior. It's just like achingly beautiful prose, just angst, 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 angst to delicious angst, like so, so much. Good. And one of the things that I had been warned about or had read warnings about when it came to Sherry Thomas historicals is that uh, she does a lot of kind of like non-conventional things. There is a lot of infidelity and just kind of maybe some like emotional cheating. Sometimes it might go on in her her books, which isn't for everyone. That doesn't doesn't bother me. And it hasn't bothered me in any of the ones I've read by her. Mm-hmm. Um, even in like the Lady Sherlock series, this is not a, a spoiler because it ha- like you find out very early on, but like the love interest is married in that book. Um, so she, she's not afraid to play in some different spaces and that's great. And I loved it. So if any of those words I just spewed, uh, (laughs) appeal to you, check out not quite a husband. I also read, um, another book from her, which is, I think even more famous. I heard more about it. Um, called ravishing the heiress also very angsty. I preferred not quite a husband, uh, but they were both very, very good. And, um, I'm trying to now save her her historicals because it doesn't appear that she's writing them anymore or has plans to return to them. So uh, I'm excited to keep going down that path. So that was fun. Yeah, I really, I have nothing to add. I really loved the book. And I mean, as always, like a Corinne historical romance (laughs) wreck is 
never disappointing. It's always a good one. So well, absolutely thanks. trust whatever you say, whatever oh, you, you point at me. I <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What other things have we read? Um, This one, I mean, who hasn't read this book at this point, but mm-hmm. we both read and loved Fourth Wing. Yeah. In case you were like curious, what did you think about Fourth Wing? We liked it. Very much enjoyed. A lot. It was like reading um, Sarah J. Moss book to me. It like felt like similar vibes. Like mm-hmm. I just like couldn't put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Just compulsively page churning. Just good stuff. Yeah. Fun exactly. stuff. Yeah. Fun. Mm-hmm. We also both read Happy Place by Emily Henry, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's like nothing really to say. I mean, it's Emily Henry. Like, I know. That goes, nothing else needs to be said. I have friends in Maine right now, and I'm like, I've never been to Maine. And like, I want to because of, I want to before, but now I really want to because of Emily Henry. And I said that to them, and they were like, What are you talking about? <laughs> so, what's going to happen is that we're going to like start going to our own cabin in Maine every year, and um, shenanigans will ensue. That's great. I'm excited for some lobster. Even though I like confess that I don't particularly like mm-hmm. love lobster, I will eat it for the vibes. I like it as long as I don't think about it. Like as long yeah. as I don't consider the fact that it's a giant sea bug. I don't like to fuck with the claws, man. I don't like when I get the claw meat and it's like still in the shape of the claw. That's mm-hmm. going to be a no for me. But yeah. um, I can get behind the body meat. <laughs> Is that what we <laughs> The flesh. <laughs> it's less like <laughs> Yeah, I don't like I don't like my food to look like the animal from whence it came. Correct. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. Like I won't eat like a soft shell crab. I, I oh, don't know no. if it still has eyes. And that's just like my own personal I get it. I don't like just, to eat bo- yeah. meat on the bones for the same reason. Yeah, I just don't like to like I I love meat. I love meat, but I have been a vegetarian in the past and I just don't like to consider that what I'm doing is eating an animal. Like I don't like to, and if it looks like the animal still, then I'm going to think about it and then it's going to completely turn yeah, me I off. Totally so agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So <laughs> I not think that's where we were going today. Just so you know, Corinne was like, we need to, we need to keep the obsession section short because this episode is going to be so long. And then here we are waxing poetic about lobster meat. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, and this last one, we did both read this as did mm-hmm. a lot of people as well. And uh, this is Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross, which is just like, I'm just like so atmospheric and beautiful and fun. You've got Mail's my favorite movie. And so this book has um, elements of that. Um, it is very lightly fantastical. Like it is the fantasy. It's set in uh, amidst a war that is driven by these gods we don't really like see the gods so it just like feels like you're in a war and then the other magical Mm -hmm. element is these typewriters through which their two main characters can communicate with each other and i just loved it just everything i could want in a just lovely charming uh, romantic fantasy beautiful part two it's a duology comes out in november it's very exciting i think in november sometime this fall um yeah so that is what we have been reading and into over the last few months uh so now let's talk about the main event i can't believe we are like finally here i'm like literally terrified (laughs) this is like this feels like such a huge undertaking 
as uh, I was compiling my notes, so I was much. just like, I literally highlighted like 73% Me of this book or something. It's yeah, it was like the most amount of highlights I ever know how like your Kindle tells you. It was like, share your like 157 <laughs> highlights to Goodreads. I was like, no one wants to see Just that. read the He's fucking a- book. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. So um, we're going to dispense with the summary, even though we used to do them all the time um, and just really dive in here because there's like too much here. And like the plot doesn't really matter. If you're just showing up now to like just blind to go into this I have questions yeah, I, want me to, I just want to talk yeah for sure um I think if this is all right with you one of the things I did was I went back and listened to our call down the hawk episodes and mm-hmm. our Mr. Impossible episode and I just thought it would be kind of fun to start with some of the things we talked about that were like maybe done I know wrong. you want to call me out I know oh my god let's, let's do like, it <laughs> it was like very funny because I was laughing aloud so this is from Tasia 2021 <laughs> regarding the woman who came to the barns and snooped around in the short story novella Opal. Maggie wouldn't leave something like that <laughs> dangling. It's Tasia 2021. Maggie did indeed a fool of me. <laughs> <laughs> she did indeed uh, leave that dangling. Yeah, there's no clear answer. Same with like aunt and uncle. There was some discourse about these, you know, associates of Nile who Declan recall going to visit out of state. Uh, never heard who they were. Let's see here. We also thought that the moderators were keeping Carmen around because they knew something about her and Liliana. Not at all true. <laughs> Like that they like knew that they were connected. No, I didn't even I didn't re-listen. Um, I re-listened back when I first read the book, but I didn't really re-listen before this recording. And I that sounds like so unfamiliar. Like I have no idea what yeah. we were even talking about. Well, like I think this kind of goes to like we thought I, I personally thought when we talk more about it, like that like Liliana was gonna be like more of a thing mm-hmm. than she actually was, and her like timey whiny whininess was gonna be more of a thing than it actually yeah. was, and it wasn't. But one of the other things we thought was like there's got to be more than Nathan to Nathan. Like, he's not just, like, a serial killer, but we, like, talked about it in a way, like, no, he's got to be, like, maybe good. No, no. It's, like, the opposite. We were a little on track. A little so, track. I think that, like, I said, like, different visions, totally, for how, like, this was all mm-hmm. going to shake out, and none of that aspect of the story in particular, like, shook out, shook out how I thought it was going to. We wanted a triad between Carmen, Liliana, and, and Hennessy. We like quasi got we weren't like off base totally let's see here we thought that Boudica was some sort of front that Morakora was involved in to ultimately like help the Lynch family which like is like quasi true as well but like Boudica ended up kind of also i feel like being a little bit of a nothing burger mm-hmm. um in the grand scheme of the plot here other so than so much like, ended up being right <laughs> exactly i would like to hat tip to our friend cat who was on our second part two called on the hawk episode who guessed correctly that niall dreamt the new finian um, this is like <laughs> shout out to tasia <laughs> tasia in 2021 if they know a way to keep a dream awake already and then the main plot is solved well listen 2021 was a different time <laughs> two more books came um but specifically that 
that Niall dreamt the new Finian. Um, that was ahead of its time, Kat. So uh, well <laughs> done with that. And you had a theory that Bride was a dream and his dreamer died. Um, so you were half right. So half credit Tasia. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, yeah, those were like kind of the big things. So like we were kind of all over the map with a lot of things, but there were some things that we were kind of on track on, um, you know, like Harmon and Roman, Ronan ultimately like coming together and like they kind of did a little bit here towards the end. Yeah. So we were wrong and we should have like known that Maggie was like going to totally just surprise like nothing we can think of we've, we've known forever mortals. Too, that she's that she's more interested in like the emotional journey than any of the like woo woo magic like yeah there's there's plenty of evidence for that in uh the raven king that she just kind of hand waves some stuff away not as much as she hand waves in this series but yeah it's still there there is precedent and we did not really take that into account we really thought that she was going to get into like the nitty-gritty about all of this, all of the minutia, and she just didn't. She was here for yeah, vibes, exactly. And I think then, you know, there's obviously I don't think any uh, other place to start than with Ronan. But I think like you're pointing out woo woo magic, like mm-hmm. I think that is like Ronan in a nutshell. In this book, who yeah. is like literally disembodied, like Literal specter of himself yeah. for this entire book. And like I actually read a review online when I was like reading just some some synopses just. When I was listening to our old episodes, I just wanted to have this book a little fresher in my head before I reread it. And like someone was like, I can't believe she like didn't have Ronan in this book for most of it. And I think that that's like not right because the whole point of this book is that like he's not just his physical human body. He's this other being as well. And I really it took the second read for me to really appreciate a lot of that. Um, beautiful character work which was in classic Steve Potter fashion driven by this kind of like wonky magic stuff Mm -hmm. but it really really worked well for me on reread what did you think I totally agree I think what what makes Steve Potter books just excellent rereads in general is that she does plant a lot of seeds but also she is is like in this one in particular, she's just like really here for vibes and you can enjoy the book a lot more when you're not like rushing to the end to try to figure out, to try to answer questions. And when you're not trying to focus on answering questions, then you can really appreciate the very subtle character work she does in a lot of this. Yeah. One of the things we also talked about in our previous episodes was like what kind of felt like in some ways or like some readers thought that Ronan's arc in this book was a backslide from the progress he made probably particularly in the dream thieves and the um self-acceptance that is so important to both of us in particular like in Mm -hmm. that book um you know some people thought this series was kind of in direct opposition to that and i think that this book really just lays out so beautifully this this distinction between dreamer and human and and gray warren and human and the passages that she does this in is just so it felt so visceral to me my one of my favorite scenes in the entire book maybe my favorite scene in the entire book is when he dreams in the church in the in it's like in the past when niall's still alive and he like wishes that he was dead because he's seeing this other world that he thinks is maybe the afterlife or whatever 
in reality, it's like all these other gray warns. It's like it's that part of him and amongst other beings. And he never felt that sort of joy before connection with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank goodness he thought in the dream that this is what the world was actually like. Some part of him had thought it must be, it could not just be mundanity and humans because that felt wrong. Like he'd been made for something different. Like he would always be seeking something more, but never finding it. And it's just, he, he wishes that he were dead because he can't find that in the real world. Mm-hmm. So for him to then, by the end of this book, to literally grow up, which is what Bride says to him at the end, it's time to grow up. Gray Warren like he grows up from that kid in the church who's unable to picture that part of himself as as something that he can attain in life that like it's only like in death he'll find that connection to like realize that he can have both in in this life oh it's powerful stuff I thought yeah I feel like it really is the culmination of this series like multiple series arc is that you know like he he learns to accept himself in the dream thieves yes but this is only you know he's chipping at the iceberg and in this one he's really he's discovering like not just who he is but what he is and why he 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 fights with himself so much and why he struggles so much to connect but he wants so desperately to connect because there's something other about him like literally other about him and um, yeah, I think like at one point, you know, they say it, it wasn't caused the night wash wasn't caused by an absence of ley line energy, but rather an excess of the human world's energy. The two energies existed in balance when pushing against the other. So it really was his, this constant battle that he's had his entire life of trying to too much to be the human and too much to be something else. And really at the end where he has that moment where he's like, you know, this is me. I'm not going to fight it anymore. Like I am, I do exist in both worlds. And when he can embrace that, then, then that's really the culmination of this arc that he's had since the dream thieves. Kicking was something this body had done back when he was younger, when he was a kid, he wasn't a kid anymore. He was barely even Ronan Lynch anymore. He didn't have to take up any of that body's habits that he didn't need anymore. And it's just like, that's so emblematic of like the Ronan we love in the Raven cycle, but he's just a little shit, like literally mm-hmm. kicking things left and right, like yeah. in, in, in just being a pain in everyone's ass. And then he just like, doesn't need that anymore. Um, and I'm sure he'll still be a little bit of an asshole, but like to really see him grow up in that way yeah, um, is, is great. And I think too, like kind of his reckoning with the like overarching Lynch family trauma, which we'll get into more with Declan in a little bit. But like, I think in one of the, the previous books, like he thought about how like the memory of Niall was holding him back. But in this book, he kind of talks more about, or he thinks more about like how, how he ever could have protected his family when everything about him had to be secret. And it goes back to the title of the second book, Mr. Impossible, which is what, you know, Aurora calls him when she, in the prologue of that book, makes him bury and hide a thing that he's dreamt. And in this book, Maggie says he was an old Irish hero with a geese placed upon him to dream so hugely that eventually he would not be able to hide it. And another geese placed upon him to never reveal that true self to anyone else. And so, you know, his family perpetuated that in, in an effort to keep him safe. Uh, but I like then how part of 
how he realizes he belongs in both worlds is that he has to be able to try to protect his brothers. He he had the power to do it before the ley line fell down and he but he didn't care about it he was you know fucking around thought he could try to save the world mm-hmm. um which he he does ultimately at the end of this book but um also on a more granular level he's concerned about his brothers and and adam and that's important too and that's all part of the process for him realizing he can accept both part of himself and it, it's just it's great it is it's really good it's a very satisfying arc i think it's very satisfying. And I would have never, ever like thought that Grey Warren, like when we read that in the Raven cycle, meant anything more than Ronan being the Grey Warren. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like how this book dove into the fact that there are, are many others and, and how that this is maybe a vicious cycle that, um, this connection of these two worlds, bridging that gap between the two worlds is something that shouldn't be done. None of them thought for a moment they were part of a pattern, a cycle of longing and manifesting and destruction, longing and manifesting and destruction. None of them wondered why the word gray worn already existed before that night. Like it's just such a really interesting way to think about Ronan being this all-time powerful being. And I think he finds some solace and in, in, in definitely not being alone in that regard. Um, it's not all on him. And I love how at the end, like they all kind of help to mm-hmm. manifest the fire that destroys the the bomb. Oh, it's just like, oh, chills. Yeah. I also think it's really interesting. Like they, they make a point or Maggie makes a point in this book to really illustrate how, how Niall like was, he found it very important to give Ronan love and to let Ronan know that he was like a person and that he was loved and everything. Because you think about, we talk a lot in this book about like, what was Hennessy without Jay? She was Jordan, you know, somebody that was way more um, self-actualized, way more like, oh, oh, just okay with herself, like way less traumatized basically. But like, what would Ronan be without Niall, without Niall, without Declan, without his brothers? Um, what would Ronan have been without that, like constant love, those affirmations, that, that sense of belonging, like what could he have become? He could have become what more thought, which is why she left the family in the first place that, that he could have been really dangerous. He could have been this completely uncontrollable thing that has all this power, but because he was so grounded and rooted in his family because of Niall, because of what Niall and Declan did really that Ronan was able to come out as well adjusted as he did. Yeah. Maggie, he made up the task of guarding the world, which meant nothing to him instead of guarding his family, which meant everything to him. And I really want to save more of the, like the Lynch family stuff for Declan, but Mm -hmm. because I I do kind of wish there was maybe a bit more rumination on that from Ronan. And I think it's like, especially interesting given that like, more Cora and the new Finian are just like part of their lives in this epilogue. Mm-hmm. So like live at the barns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would have been like interested to see how more of that came out, especially with more referring to Ronan as an it and like him being the impetus for her ultimately leaving. Yeah. Um I, I would have been interested to see like how all that played out. But like on on the other hand, though, like it almost seems like this 
newly reborn Ronan at the end of this book, like, has his specific human concerns, right? Like, he's always going to be concerned about those people who are at that wedding, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the world kind of at large, but, like, maybe beyond that, like, he doesn't have to worry about those things anymore in the same way that he might have when he was a younger kid. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a balance. He finds it. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of discussion too about like how he, he does come out like differently too, right? Like there's that passage in Mr. Impossible where they like see um, old Ronan in a tree in a dream. And we were all like, what is that? Is it pride? Mm-hmm. Like it's not pride. It's just, it's just Ronan, but it's like very much a symbol of like, you know, He'd been older, silvered, powerful, and sad. A Ronan who had seen the world when he opened his eyes, though, Hennessy realized that he was still that young human Ronan that she knew too, torn between. Now here was that Ronan in the waking world looking both young and old. On one hand, a young man with a tattoo still new enough to be angry, a pugnacious set to his shoulders, a defiant way of planting his boots on the wood floor. On the other hand, there was something ancient in his eyes. He no longer looked torn between. He was both at once. There was no dissonance. I am one of those things. So it's like, demigod type mm-hmm. individual it's like you you don't really have to like worry so much about like all the same mortal concerns or all the same like huge otherworldly concerns that's another thing i want to call out to cat um who in our episode that she was on talked about um the myth of Hearn the hunter and his demon dogs and Hearn the hunter being like a demi demi god and her thinking that might have been the inspiration for the demon dogs who finally come back into play in this book mm-hmm. at ronan's hands but at declan's hands but like you know kind of hinted at ronan being something more something something yeah. otherworldly um like a dummy god's a good way to put it so another cat tip yeah. to cat because that was another thing we were questioning what is ronan the answers something that made me really reminiscent was, uh, you know, that, that specific wording talking about the kind of duality that exists within Rodin is very similar, like harkens back to how everybody referred to Gansey for the longest time is that he seemed both young and old, like of a different world and of a different time. And of this one, you know, also very young. So I, I liked that kind of, I feel like there were a lot of callbacks to a lot of Raven cycle things, including yeah. like just word for word, direct quotes, which I yeah. really appreciated because it really does feel like an entire, like you need both. Yeah. Was, I'll never tell anybody just to read the series. Like you yeah. have to read both really. Absolutely. And you know, the epilogue is a gift in so many ways and we'll mm-hmm. gush about it at the appropriate time of this podcast. But like, that is something that Ronan clocks in that epilogue. Like someday he'll ask Gansey about like, Mm-hmm. what it was like to like come back from the to dead also and... be like that yeah also yeah be created exactly. by this like other entity it's a great parallel mm-hmm. my, my two my two boys <laughs> oh, i love them i know i also wanted to like there there's a lot of talk about you know rowan wrote rowan ronan being gray warren and being like this kind of all-powerful dreamer like he he's described as, as, as more powerful than pretty much anything. Um, Nathan maybe comes close, but it really makes me think about 
you know how they did describe other dreamers as like only being able to dream very specifically. Like mm-hmm. they dream like that one person, she just dreams the mirrors more can't dream anything living. Um, they, they have their own like specificities that they can dream about. But then I think about like Kavinsky, it really makes me think about Kavinsky a lot because like how powerful was Kavinsky? How otherworldly was he? Like it's, it just really, you think back to everything he was capable of. And it really makes more sense now why Kavinsky was able to drain the ley line in Henrietta the way that he did when even Ronan's like extreme dream dreaming never really did it is that he was just drawing so much power. He was wielding so much power. And it's just wild that somebody that was that young when Ronan still yeah. Ronan was this otherworldly creature and still didn't have have that dreaming under him until Kavinsky taught him more yeah. about it. And it and it all goes back to to like how we we've talked about on our episodes about it, like how Kavinsky is like what Ronan could be without the support mm-hmm. of his family and his friends and you know right, so I guess that's it's our like answer, Nathan right? like Nathan maybe yeah. like if well, I guess that's the answer to that question I asked earlier is what what would Ronan be without his family and he would he would be yeah. Nathan he would be yeah. Kavinsky yeah it's it's good stuff Maggie good <laughs> stuff I do have questions about the lace while we while we're here we can talk about it more like with Hennessy too but like mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that like when he and Adam finally meet in dream space, sweet metal sea or whatever it is, he appears to Adam as the lace. And I think that that's, and I don't know what to make of that. I guess I'm just like unsure of like what the lace is. Um, but again, like does Maggie know or care? I, I, I can't tell. Um, the lace seems to speak the language of dreams and dreamers too um, at various points. And Ronan suspects that he might be able to speak that language if he tried, but if he did, he would forget the Ronan Lynch of himself, you know, forever. It's just like still I'm kind of like, that was like very interesting. But Is the lace just like the, the subconscious of every dreamer? Like that? I, I don't understand it. I really don't. Yeah. And it's like, is there, is, is it, Maggie trying to say like that there is some like kind of evil aspect to the forest too like is that the same thing that's whispering to Matthew and to Bride you know and trying is it what's whispering to visionaries to like try to get them to hold that darkness for us is 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 the lace a part of that we still don't really know but I liked all the lace moments this book I mean I like Ronan appearing to Adam as the lace as a representation of how he is this otherworldly being and Adam's like a speck in comparison. Mm-hmm. It's just I thought that, that was all again really well done, but still have like a ton of questions. Maybe if I yeah. like someday now do a full like reread of the series tops to bottom, like I might know more, particularly in like this trilogy, but I'm not gonna do that for a while. Uh, so I don't have an answer right now. Um <laughs> But I'm, I would just be curious if, if readers have other thoughts on that. That I, that was one thing in particular I would really love Please to like, know about. email us your theories. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Hennessy briefly, I just want to say that I actually like, love that she's the one who brings him back. Like, and it's mm-hmm. particularly like via hugging. There's a strange sort of magic to being a person holding another person after not being held by someone for a long time. There was another strange sort of magic to understanding you'd been using words and silence the wrong way. For a long time like yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm so happy for them this was the book like 
my favorite thing about Hennessy was always like not it was her you know it was Jordan it was her copies it was her girls but it was mostly um her friendship with Ronan Mm-hmm. And I, I loved it so much. And, but Hennessy as a character didn't always work for me that well. Mm-hmm. I found like, you know, she was just a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah. It was very, very tiresome. Um, but I think this was the book that really made me come around on Hennessy a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I think just her, her arc is so fucking good. It's good. In this book. It really is. I loved her in this book and I mm-hmm. want to talk about her um, more too. And I think one of the, for me, the the only like real downside to Ronan kind of being disconnected in that way is like kind of his his failure to interact as much with like Hennessy. Although I love mm-hmm. that she comes and like fights off the lace to like save him, and it's it's just all great stuff. And we'll talk about that. Um, one thing I do want to talk about, and we can talk about some pinch stuff here if we want. But like, <laughs> I because I have Adam thoughts too like separate of them together but like one of the things I said in our last episode was that I really wanted like end game for Ronan in this book to not be tied directly to his feelings for Adam like I really wanted it to be a story about the brothers and that to be a main focus that's not at all the case there was like way more adam like soulmate level shit in this book which like as a pinch stan <laughs> i absolutely loved and i thought was like so well done um but i was shocked by it given like the kind of lack of adam in particularly like called on the hawk and like he was just way more of an integral part here and like not just like in the present timeline but like there were things too like that dream he had in the church it's at one point a boyish hand, all knuckles and veins. It fit perfectly against his. He heard a voice in his ear. Nam cum solus. In the dream, he knew what it meant. Never alone. It's like, obviously, that's not Adam because he's like not a Grey Warren or whatever. But like, some like being out there in the world, like it, it like some part of Adam. Like that's 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 a pinch shit right there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, a absolutely. hand. I think you're supposed to read Atlantic. that. As, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, so even years before he met Adam and he like didn't know what a great one was and he wanted to be dead. There's some like Adam, like being, like being drawn or that he's drawn to and being drawn to him, mm-hmm. you know, his creation of Lindemere, like Maggie just like lays it all out here. He intended for this forest to tell him how to exist in the future as a dreamer. He intended for this forest to be able to survive without him. He intended for this forest to want him. It was about Adam, of course. Yeah. But, like, it's also, that's, like, the plot of the book is Ronan, like, t- learning how to exist in the future as a dreamer. Like, learning how to be able to survive you know, the, to, to, without some of these things. So, it's just, like, I was so shocked at how integral Adam Parrish, and I love it. It's, like, yeah. I, I did not anticipate it coming at all, though. Because, you know, this book story is saying, this book or the first the lunch book starts brothers. it's about the brother's lunch yeah exactly mm-hmm. and it's just i was just very surprised by that i don't know if you had thoughts oh yeah no okay. i i was also like i kind of resigned myself to just like letting the the romance part of it or whatever kind of go mm-hmm. um because this is an this is an important story to tell too um so i just kind of resigned myself to like a lack of adam but um yeah he was he was very integral to the plot um and just every scene that they had, I have pretty much just entirely highlighted. 
that um, even before he put a name to the face, he was overwhelmed with a single thought, it is going to be okay. The second voice belonged to Adam Parrish. Like just every time that Adam is around them, even when it's anguishing, like like Ronan's gesture with the watch was just think of me. He just wanted Adam God. to think of me. And then Adam putting it down because he couldn't he couldn't think about him anymore. And then, and then immediately going out and finding Chainsaw for him. Just all of it. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's- good. <laughs> and that's the stuff that really stuck out to me like on the first read but then this is the stuff that like really is speaking to me after the second read this is when like ronan's the lace and he finally like finds adam in like dream space or whatever can you be smaller or tell me where to look you're everywhere but adam began to laugh a big disbelieving laugh ragged with his newly extinguished fear turning to look all around himself with some effort ronan twisted and compacted the branches of his form as small as he could he was rewarded by adam looking directly at him like ronan is this huge expansive thing and he can bring himself down into a smaller form for Adam who can look directly at him and see him who he's meant to be, Tasha. Yeah, and it's important too that that Adam just rolls with it. Like yeah. there's never a moment where Adam, besides b- before when he realized it was it was Ronan, obviously he was scared, but like at the second, the second he realizes it's Ronan, like all of that fear melts away and he's just happy to see him. There's no like, what the fuck are oh. you? Which might be like somebody else's first question. But Adam just he doesn't play like that. He's just like, This is this is Ronan. That's it's it. That's all that matters. So good like it's like even even deeper than I like thought and that's what's just it's such a gift and um I loved that aspect of it and but then I do like the fact that at the very end where Ronan is manifesting this you know dream or this dream fire to put out the bomb um he like continues to do that in effort to save the world in instead of going to save Adam and Hennessy does that um, which Mm -hmm. is such a, a great leap of of trust but I also think like kind of a healthy step for Ronan um, too in terms of like his relationship with Adam and then how he relates still to the world around him. And I think it's kind of echoed in the epilogue and like where they're at at that point too is like they kind of live separate lives together. Yeah. And that's so different than what they thought it would be or what they wanted to be that one summer at the barns before Adam left for Harvard. And yet it's exactly perfect for them. So perfect. Oh, God. Maggie, good stuff. Like, (laughs) everyone was like, is she going to kill Adam after calling down the hawk? Like, no, this is like the complete opposite of all of that. And perfect. Well, and at least now we know that Ronan could survive. There was a version of Ronan that would not have. Like, yeah. like the Raven Cycle Ronan would not have given up Adam to save the world, I don't think. Yeah. Sure. Um and and I like that they come to a place where they are a little bit healthier about each other. Like totally. Ronan's not giving himself night wash just in and trying to give up parts of himself to be with Adam. And Adam comes to a much better place too where he's not making up different versions of himself just to to cling to a dream that just doesn't really apply to him anymore like they're just yeah. they're in a healthier place that you know makes their relationship way more viable i loved so much adam talking about how he asked ronan um what he would do if he accidentally dropped another adam Mm-hmm. I thought about it a lot after that. What I'd do to that other Adam? Would I let him live my life with me like Hennessy? Would I kill him before he could kill me? But you know what? I got to thinking that copy exists. I made him. I am him. I didn't ever think that I was. We were going to get such um, a direct explanation from Adam 
an acknowledgement of how he's just been trying to hide who he really is and how fucked up that is. Yeah. He's like, there's a version of me that stayed with you, a version that went to Lindenmere, a version that, you know, he's like, I lied to Gansey, I lied to Blue. I've been lying to literally everybody because, um, what does he say? Um, it's like, I don't want this version to have anything the other version had, good or bad. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it hurts. But then saying to Ronan, you were like the place I stored all the reality in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to start lying about you too. And and that's kind of where it all felt apart for Adam. So like, I, I, looking back at my first initial impressions of a call down the hawk, I'm like, what is happening with <laughs> Adam Parrish? Like why? Mm-hmm. It felt like such an afterthought. Um, but really how it all ties into the relationship here and how, um, similar they are. And they're like, they're both, you know, burying who they really are and yet recognize who each other really are in such a profound way at the end of this book. It's again, a gift, Maggie, like more than I ever could have anticipated for these two. And I think there's a line that just like perfectly encompasses why like those early, you know, that summer they had where they just dreamt of this kind of nebulous future that was really a fantasy. Um, neither Ronan nor Adam had been trained in the difficult and nuanced art of having a future. They'd only ever learned the art of surviving the past. And that's what like those fantasy futures were. Yeah. Um, it was just about escaping and exactly. it was never about like actually living and, and being able, able to have like a real life together. Yeah. Um, a couple of specific Raven cycle callbacks that I want to mention. Mm-hmm. One was um, Ronan seeing like his Adam snuffed up uh, scuffed up sneakers in dream space and just thinking please which oh, is that from it's from call on the hawk isn't it where he first sees Adam and you get the please Ye- yeah yeah okay well it's still a nice callback Maggie whatever it is it's a nice callback <laughs> also I was shocked to see um a callback to that I think it's in the dream thieves with the mask the dream that he has with the mask that like basically kills Adam and is like very scary and dark. And when Adam leaves him uh, after that very charged scene with Declan, which I loved, Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, a clear memory unattached to anything else, return to Ronan, a plain wooden mask with round eye holes and a gaping mouth. It was not a horrific mask, but it felt horrific to look at nonetheless. Ouchie. Yeah. Luckily, it all worked out. Adam came back. It's <laughs> fine. He he was gone briefly. He brought Chainsaw Pack. And not to get too yeah, into Declan yet, because we are going to have plenty of time for that. But I really love protective Declan mm-hmm. and that he, you know, even to Adam, he's just like, he was going to move here for you. Seriously. You're right. And you should say it, Declan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I love all of this kind of be dangerous with really all of the brothers in this book, but Declan in particular, like, I feel like he's taken most of his protectiveness for Ronan and, and presented it as, as like nagging as being mad all the time as just being like the fun sponge. But um, now he's, he's really putting it not towards, he's not focusing it on Ronan, but focusing at everyone that wants to hurt Ronan. And it's coming off as, this is a dangerous person, and yeah. I love that for him. Ugh, Declan's so good. Before we move on from Ronan, totally. I mean, obviously, we'll still talk about him, but <laughs> like, um, his section 
let's talk about Bride because I was so surprised at my Bride thoughts um, rereading this book. Well, first of all, I found uh, a summary that Maggie put out on her Substack right before Grey Warren came out in which she summarized all Mr. Impossible. And she like had a breakdown of all the characters and she had a category called bad guys. And she says, please note that bride is not listed under the bad guys heading, even though I do spend most of the book trying to convince you he ought to be here. And like listening back to our Mr. Impossible episode and our call on the Hawk episodes, like we basically were like, this guy's like a, a pedo. Like he is like <laughs> grooming people. Um, you know, like, oh, one of the other things we thought was maybe he groomed Nathan into, like, making him the way it is. Like, we were just so all far off the mark. And it's, like, nice to hear from Maggie that she was intentionally doing this. Yeah. Um, we also discussed how we wanted him to be more than just, like, Ronan's subconscious, like, brought to life. And I think we get so many, uh, so, so much good stuff in that regard here. We also talked about how like Maggie uses magic as metaphor, like how Glendower ultimately like wasn't a thing to be found Um, in the main trilogy. Like we talked about how we wanted Ronan to be able to like move through the bride part of himself in order to grow. And, and again, bride tells Ronan at the end of the book, like it's time to grow up. Like he doesn't need that manifestation of the worst parts of himself, but also this, this person to, to try to get him to tap into the gray war inside of himself to the same extent anymore, because he, he, he's accepted that and it's all unified. He's achieved that balance. Yeah, exactly. I think Maggie was so smart in the way that she handled the bride stuff in this book too, because I mean, we really did. We There's so much vitriol. You know, we just did not like Bright at all. And we had good reason to suspect like a lot of horrible things about him. But um, it's hard to come back from that. Like, it's hard yeah. to come back from all of that setup, that horrible setup. But she was so smart in the way she did it, like to defang him and give him a sympathetic POV that just kind of rewrites all of Bride. And like Matthew is the perfect the perfect pairing for that it is essentially what it really reminds me of as uh spike in buffy getting the the chip in season four that mm-hmm. prevents him mm-hmm. from being able to attack humans and he becomes defanged and immediately falls into depression but make it funny and that's kind of what they what maggie does with bride here and it's just really a smart way to handle it so that it really just kind of it dulls all of that like bride hatred and you're like oh, yeah, yeah you can't really you can't really hate a guy you can really kick him when he's down like that you know yeah he and matthew are like the perfect foil but there's also just mm-hmm. like some very lovely like quiet moments with bride too where like you know declan asks like why is ronan asleep and you're awake and he's like it's simple he's a more complicated machine than i am what was i meant to do make it all worth it to him what was he meant to do more like mm-hmm. that's just uh that's just it's such a simpler way to say like what he's been trying to do for two books before this like it is distilled down to it it is like a noble goal um which makes sense like he's part of ronin there's no part of ronin that's bad there's a part of him that's self-loathing and and Mm -hmm. awful and that's um and a part of ronin who hated the human world um he wanted to be dead he wanted to be with these gray warrens and then ronin thinks 
you know, he was beginning to realize he'd birth bred into hell, a world he was designed to hate. Ronan not trumped any optimism into him, any simple joy. So happiness was the skill bride would have to learn for himself once he was in the waking world. I mean, that's very, it's, it's makes bride very pitiful and it makes him very empathetic, I think mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. And I just thought all of that was, um, was really, was really good here. And I, I think to, to go back to your point too, about like how you like defang bride. I think what's really great here is how Maggie for both like the lace for Hennessy and bride for Ronan, like they both are kind of representative of like the worst versions of themselves and like the lace parroting all like the bad things back at Hennessy and, and, and bride doing that essentially to mm-hmm. Ronan, but like they're both rendered so impotent in this book. Yeah. Um, and that's just, I, I just love that from for for both of Ronan and Hennessy. It's just it's so um, great to see them do that. And then for Bride at the end to become a visionary, which I think my like read on this without being his POV is that he does it a maybe selfishly to escape this world that he hates, but B because this world is important to Ronan and Ronan needs to be able to save it. Well, yeah. And, and, and he sacrifices himself for that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Cause that's what he was created for. Right. Like right. he, he, and despite, you know, him losing his dreamer, losing, you know, a lot of his, his uh, motivation, he still has that baked into him. It is still a part of who he is. And so that I think him becoming a visionary just feels really right. Yeah, no. And then Matthew coming back to the barns and saying, Bride told me it was better for me to ask you guys for help than the voice. He said you cared more. And, you know, that I think is so such an interesting way to look at it, especially just an interesting conclusion for Bride when he was saying the complete opposite for um, the entirety of the first Mm -hmm. two books here and trying to isolate Ronan from his brothers and Declan then thinks he understood mm-hmm. that Bride had given both his brothers back to him. He understood that Bride had always been like shallow water, only dangerous to those who couldn't stand on their own or who already wanted to drown. Yeah. It's just like, I did not expect to have like a ton of Bride feelings in this book. Um, it's just, it's again, very... She did that a couple times in this book <sighs> with deep... a couple of different characters. It's... Yeah. Deep, deep... Uh, feeling and character work here for me is so good mm. <laughs> good good stuff um should we talk about Declan now are you ready <laughs> let me, let me she literally just took a, a sip of her beer I'm watching her do it <laughs> she chugged it it's, it's a gone bit, a little bit um I this this is what I wrote I can't even write anything lest I cry <laughs> uh facts Yes. I also chatted early. I teach earlier. I was like, I have written a treatise on Ronan and Bride, and I cannot write anymore. You need to. I, I trust that you've got the Declan stuff on lock. So yeah, I um, mean, if I can be trusted for anything, it's to be always obsessing over Declan Lynch. But like this book in particular, his arc. I mean, like no no spoilers for like who my favorite arcs are but like Declan Declan's arc in this book is just top tier because it's not like again like Ronan and and whomever it's it's across multiple series just the he goes from 
you know, being the person who always resented magic, resented his family, resented his father um, throughout both the Raven Cycle and the and the Dreamer trilogy. And he's just coming to the realization that he doesn't actually hate those things. He loves them. And I mean, this plays out most literally with him falling in love with like a literal dream. Mm-hmm. This magical thing that ruled his family and that he claimed to have hated. Um, but he even leans into everything that he claims to have presented about his father and like becomes that like he becomes that magical dealer essentially that kind of underworld ruler and is finally happy like you see him in in call down the hawk and in mr impossible that he kind of you see how he really likes those things and he doesn't want to but now he's embracing them by the end of this and i really just Declan hiding from everything and hating everything because he's afraid of how much he loves it is just got me. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you and I got in, I wouldn't say it was a tiff, but we like disagreed (laughs) on like how healthy, how he was acting with Jordan was in Mm -hmm. Mr. Impossible. Um, And so I like having listened to us talk about that, I was on the verge of like, this is almost like a little manic. Like, is he avoiding his things that he should be thinking about? And you're like, no, he's like finally embracing happiness. And I I think that um, the work that he does in this book is, integral to him actually finding like that true happiness with Jordan and And making it not that manic thing correct and I and 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 I think the fact that like they it's like four years later and they're finally getting married he's proposed before they even kissed Mr. Impossible Mm -hmm. and we're waiting four years for them to get married so I was like very happy to see um all of this that clearly he's not acting on on impulse. Yeah, exactly. And to see that he's done the work with mm-hmm. his family, which obviously he was going to. Like, that's what this story was going to be about for him. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it, there's not a single um, Nile flashback, more Cora flashback that Declan had, or even the scenes between them that didn't cause me pain. Like, every mm-hmm. single one was so painful and the magic you- trick of <laughs> Maggie making taking a character like Niall who I hated for so I many know. so many books and making him such a sympathetic character I just cannot believe that she did such a thing to me made a fool of me again yeah it's not even just like making a fool of us it's just like such a gift to make me hurt so much for this character I mean like Oh, just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch in the way he just like powers through them all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus, it's like anything more fucked up and horrible than like the creation of Ronan, which we didn't like really talk about. But like ethically, that's like very terrible. Mm-hmm. And then for those two idiots to like not treat him like the human that they made him into mm-hmm. um and and for Declan he's just a baby one, he's such a, he's just a baby the scene where they find Declan with Ronan in the middle of the night and Declan had gone to him because he was crying that's like when I like lost my shit and like mm-hmm. this poor little bubby is all alone he's and so Declan lonely he's crying so he's crying so quietly only Declan can hear him I just man (laughs) but also that like nile the the whole trick that 
Declan always thought that Niall preferred Ronan, but in reality, Niall of Declan absolutely so destroyed me. Absolutely. Much. And that's why he ultimately loved Ronan. And that's why he agreed to like basically keep Ronan around. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't handle it. Niall getting rid of his memory of the day Declan was born because it would kill him to have to relive that. Yeah. Oh God. I just you know, mm-hmm. we and we have always like knew this, right? About mm-hmm. Niall that he was not a bad man, but a very flawed man. Yeah. Um, you really see that here. And his love for these three boys like really shines through and how just because of the circumstances that Declan was was brought into and raised in as a child and how his brothers came into this world and how his fucked up parents really reacted to that um, made him unable to clearly see that love while he had it is um, a tragedy and it's really upsetting and there's nothing about the end of this book that like even really makes it feel better because the like the scene with the moth at the end is like no (laughs) goodbye dad I'm just the Jordan painted that for him I'm gonna I'm in shambles the it's... the quote Niall had stayed always choosing Declan, a life with Declan beside him as much as possible. And more would have taken Declan too, but Niall wanted him. And just when when Declan watches all of those memories, and the first thing he says is, I thought he preferred Ron. And Declan said it was the most ridiculous thing to say. It was the most meaningless of takeaways, but out it came. Because of course it did, because it's always right on the surface. Yeah, right. But like he is he's gonna have. Like it's a it's a moment of closure, but like it's not like he's always gonna not be able to to relive that in a different way. Like his his relation, he can't. He, there's no second chance there, and it's. I wish it's that really Declan upsetting. got that closure with Niall that Ronan did. Yeah, Ronan got a beautiful and, and you know as much as I didn't like Niall then, I still loved that moment that he got in the Dream Thieves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that moment of closure with his father and I would I would sell my left leg to give to give Declan that same moment of closure with his father yeah his worst memory being Niall leaving him the DC condo <laughs> because uh it's just it's so subtle mm-hmm. and like it, you just say that out loud and they're like, that doesn't really make sense. But if you've read these books, you know why that is so upsetting. Yeah. Now. But, and Maggie has done the work to get you to a point where that's just like, it's devastating. And that's what I mean about like, it. there's nothing about um, all these realizations that Declan had that really like make me feel comforted. They make me very, very sad. He has a lot of things to be happy about, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it, it's just makes my heart hurt. And it like will always hurt for him um, in that way, because it's a loss that's just so different and deeper and profound than even like what Ronan experienced. Yeah. And I just. There's a lot of hearkening back to like Declan was a liar, something that has been like a refrain through both series. And um, I like how it's kind of flipped in this book where it's like he was a liar, but all of these lies are basically just lies he's telling himself about uh, how much he cares and this this line all this time the biggest slide Declan had told himself was that he hated his father what he'd really meant every time he thought it every single day was I miss him yeah 
And the new Fenian even clocks it. He says, I don't even know if I care enough to ask why. Or Declan says that. And he says, ah, Declan, the new Fenian said, telling yourself that won't make caring hurt less. Yeah. Oh, Declan. That's why, I mean, like, and I have this note written here. Like, do we think more in the new Finian, like, should have been let back into their lives? Like, what, is that healthy? Like, I'm kind of almost like, is it healthy? I don't know that it's healthy just because, um, oh man. And I, this makes me think about Aurora too. And, and it really does kind of cast in a new light, um, all that coldness that Declan seemed to have shown Aurora Mm -hmm. this kind of unfeelingness. But, you know, when you think about it, nothing Aurora could say, this is about Matthew, nothing Aurora could say would persuade Declan to do more than tolerate him. Aurora was already a lie Declan was being asked to play along with. He would not play along with another. Like abandoned by your mother and then forced to to play pretend with the copy. And I feel like that just really... It makes a lot of sense why and like why being around more and then the new Fenian, which is a copy of his father, would be kind of traumatizing. But I kind of justify it with like none of them are really at the barns that much. It seems to be like just a family gathering spot. Yeah. And I also like listen, I understand that more was a bad mother. She was a mess. She she was not emotionally developed really. She admitted that she really didn't feel things the way most people did that she didn't feel love the way most people did but i mean that's not her fault but i also do think that she loved declan as as well as she could and i think part of loving him was keeping herself away from him and i think everything that she does at the end of this book really kind of shows that she does love him um just as she, she loves him in the only way she can and i think getting away from Boudica, like now that she's kind of had uh, you know, those, those rose colored glasses are off and she's not seeing them in the same light that she did when they seemed new and exciting and like this cool yeah. way to like, you know, and a good excuse to get away from Ronan, this thing she was scared of. But I think now, you know, she's not scared of Ronan anymore. Ronan has set up, set it up so that she is protected as well as they are. So, yeah, I think yeah. she's, she's all right. And you know what? She's a good person to have in your pocket because True. she, she's scary in her own right. And hopefully she earns her place there. You know, like, it seems like they're taking care of the barns and it almost kind of makes me a little bit wistful for what Niall and more could have had yeah. in a different world. You know, that stuff, man, that really hurt. Like the, the Niall and more stuff is when so... she's like, I'm basically, what does she say? Like, she's like, I'm, I'm a basically psychopath. a sociopath, but yeah. like, uh, for which one I have empathy. Nice one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or I have a conscience or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not good. Um, so yeah, that was hard to read. Also, we have to talk about like Declan just going on a murder. He just straight uh, up murders murder so many people. <laughs> and I'm like, heck yeah. I love this for him. I yeah, my lot <laughs> my note about this is literally just I can't believe Declan just straight up murders a bunch of people in this book. Daddy, I love him. The gray man would be so proud. It's so good and like it's so um i'm kind of stealing this thought generally from something you hinted a couple times in your notes but like mm-hmm. you know there's this refrain that um brides has to declan at the beginning of this book like were you keeping ronin from danger or were you keeping him from being dangerous and how like they both just like lock into the dangerous like declan tells ronin like be dangerous like multiple mm-hmm. times but like you're totally right that 
Declan is is so dangerous uh, in this book. And that scene, it was so cinematic. Like, I can picture it. It really like, was. Oh I, I absolutely visualized like it. Like an action I, film. I want it to be a movie or just a scene. Like, just film the scene, somebody. That, that whole chapter when he goes to the fairy market and he sees, like, the thieves with their hands cut off and the ears and the um, eyes and... Like he rides the elevator with the dream who's sleeping and oh, he leaves and, and he, he like leaves. hovers on the sidewalk for a while, just kind of battling with himself. And then he goes in, he, he goes back just like guns blazing. I think we've established pretty well in this podcast that we've got like a competence thing, but this is, oh, it's just yeah. kiss. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's so good. And then he shot by his own mother, but you know, <laughs> as, as it um, is usually. As, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was all just, uh, it was just, it was just great. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot. Before we like totally move on from Declan, I think we want to talk about Jordan. You know, one of the things I think is kind of interesting about this book is in the series ultimately is like, you know, we were so excited for Jordan and Matthew to meet. So Matthew could like meet another dream and like basically realize he's his own person. And I love that moment um, with Declan and Adam in this book where he was, where um, Declan says um, to Adam, dreams are their own people. They can make their own choices. And Adam says, too bad Ronan's not awake to hear you say that. There was a time it would have meant a lot to hear you say it. Um, but like, for, for that to be kind of like a thesis statement of this series, like dreams are their own people. I was like kind of surprised how it felt almost like that, like Jordan and Matthew in particular were still just kind of like ancillary to the story and like really just sort of stepping stones for the dreamers or non-dreamers um, in the case of like Declan um, to really kind of come into their own. And that was just... Mm-hmm. Kind of um, upsetting to me. I'm like, Jordan is based, Jordan and Adam in the, um, you know, last part of this book make me think of um, the Goblet of Fire uh, in the Triwizard Tournament where like Ron and Hermione are like brought into the lake. Yeah. And they have to like swim and save them. Like they're just basically like dangled in front of like Harry as the hero to like come mm-hmm. and, and save them. Like that's what they like felt like to me at the end of this book. And we already talked about how Adam is so much more um, than just that when it comes to Ronan. But and, and obviously Jordan is to Declan too. But I was just surprised how like Matthew just kind of shows up at the barns in the epilogue. And like Jordan obviously falls asleep because she's a dream. Um, so that was kind of not like really disappointing because you can't give everyone every arc but like Jordan in particular like so much of like her importance in this book is as it relates to Hennessy like and Hennessy's um acceptance of who Jordan is independent of her and and who Hennessy can be because of who Jordan is because Jordan is part of her um and 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 Declan building off of his happiness with with Jordan um to to kind of reestablish himself and, and seek out what he needs to seek when it comes to his family. So yeah, I don't I'm like if I interrogate it further, I might like not like it. Um, yeah. I think with all. Jordan in particular it is because she did seem like she had a lot more um 
kind of steam behind her in Mr. Impossible. She seems yeah, like totally. like more of more in the story and even in Call Down the Hawk. And she does feel like she was put on the back burner. I think a lot of her arc was like really handled in Mr. Impossible, That's I true. guess. And yeah. and so she was like, I'm good. Like you guys need to work on yourself still. I'm gonna make my sweet medals. Yeah. And <laughs> um yeah, it, exactly. And like I think part of the thing with Matthew is that like he's for whatever reason, like not capable of like the same complex level of thought. And that's not Mm -hmm. maybe even necessarily just because he's a dream. It's not because obviously dreams can be very um, complex, complex. It's it's the way he was dreamed. Yeah. And it's baked into him. Some humans like Mm -hmm. aren't uh, capable of, of some of those things. So like, it's fine. It's just, I thought that it was interesting. Yeah, I do appreciate that, like, Matthew got his own little side adventure with Bride. Like, mm-hmm. he he did kind of figure shit out on his own a little bit. We didn't get a ton of it, but um, I liked him being kind of that that foil to Bride and just kind of shaking Bride out of his, like, pity party and maybe realizing some things on his own. And, you know, like, you know, he does want to be with his brothers and stuff. But I think it was important for all of the Lynch brothers to be on their own for most of this yeah. book. Um, it is just kind of, yeah, Matthew didn't get a ton to do with his time. It was his time was really served more like to help bride with his yeah. journey. Yeah. And like, you know, we get the awesome scene where Matthew punches Declan, which is yes. fantastic. I so loved good. it. So but good like, and deserved. Where's the like reckoning of that? You know what I mean? Like, we have this beautiful hug between Ronan and Teclan. And like, that means so much because they've had seven books of antagonism mm-hmm. um, to this point, but like, I, I don't know. It feels, it feels a little um, disappointing to not have Matthew have that same moment with both his brothers, one who mm-hmm. dreamt him and one who kept him on such a tight leash. Um, yeah. Anyway. Is what it is, but should we talk about Hennessy? Yeah. Um, yeah, as we said, I like loved her in this book. I was like, you are my best friend, Hennessy. I everything that I found grating about her, particularly Mr. Impossible, I loved in this book. Like mm-hmm. all of her humor was so good. Um, I think all of this stuff to like the mother trauma of this book. Yeah. Um oh man, between her and Declan is just like whoof. When she goes to the meet Boudica and the one lady says, I had hoped her behavior was more of an act performance art. I'm sorry. That must have been difficult. It was unexpectedly jarring to be seen. Hennessy had not come here to be known. She had not come here for sympathy from a stranger, especially not for a childhood. She'd thought only looked appalling from the inside. Did it matter to know someone had thought about her and her youthful suffering? She would have liked to an- the answer to be no. It was simpler, but the way her breath felt all tangled up in her throat told her that the answer was yes, it mattered. Her um, dealing with her own mother trauma in, in, in this book and thinking about how, you know, what would Hennessy have been without her mother? The mm-hmm. answer is Jordan. Um, and how that makes her come to peace with who Jordan is and Jordan's choices um, and her life looking a lot different than Hennessy thinks she wants her own life to look. Um, I just thought it was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, everything, everything that Hennessy goes through in this book, like in particular, I love, I love this line. Awake, she was as powerful as Ronan had been asleep, in control, wielder of magic, knower of secrets, creator of things that hadn't existed before. And like her, like kind of acknowledging the lace and taking its power away from her, just being like, mm, you're not going to tell me anything that I haven't thought about myself. So who cares? Um, and I think yeah. a lot of that is is like when she realizes that she has painted the most powerful sweet metal in all of Boudicca's collection. And it wasn't her mother. It wasn't anybody else. It wasn't Jordan. It was her. And I really like at the end because it is kind of like a, not a red herring, what is that? Just like a, a fake out where she kind of gets surrounded by the lace and you think, you know, Ronan's like, oh God, I have to save Hennessy. No, I have to save Adam. No, I have to build this fire to like, you know, and you don't know mm-hmm. when he, when he leaves the dream and he's going to go build that fire. He thinks that Hennessy is fucked and Adam is fucked and they're being torn apart by the lace right now. But Hennessy was chilling. She was in there just putting Adam, literally putting Adam back together or by orb and and putting him back together. And she was fine. Like she, she has come so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like find myself almost like cheering silently to myself when she was like, fuck you. (laughs) It was like, it just Mm -hmm. basically realizing that like it was using her own thoughts against her and she wasn't going to have it anymore. And um, yeah, I, I really, I loved all of that. What I'm of mixed feelings about is not even necessarily Hennessy and Carmen together because I actually like, liked all of their stuff together. Yeah, um, they like the me. painting of Carmen was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this quote like this, I think really sums it all up about like what I loved about it. It was truly amazing how much in the past few days Hennessy had spent either fantasizing about fruit lane or having that fantasy ruined by the reality of her. <laughs> like if that isn't like enemies to lovers, mm-hmm. um, like in a nutshell, um, like what is, but yeah. So I, I really loved all that. I loved like her painting Carmen and like really seeing who Carmen really was um, their first kiss I thought was great. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a lot of it at the end of the day is not going to like super work for me because Carmen just never really super works for me. Um, and I don't know what it is. Like hmm. I, her, her arc feels a little murkier to me. Like yeah, I, there's a couple of things like th- there's a sign where she says, or she thinks she knew just two things for sure. Nathan was going to do it again. And all of this was about her, but like was it? Yeah. Because the second, like, she showed up and Nathan was like, Meh, and then he shot her, like, cool, without a thought. So how? Yeah, it's it's weird. I also wonder, like, there there are some like murky things about her. What's with the opera? Is she like magic in some way? Is she making this opera happen? Because it seems to happen during moments of like emotional, like big emotional turmoil or just feelings or whatever. Like it. Um, I'll read the quote later. It's in my my soon section, but like w- with all the opera bursting from every speaker yeah. when she kisses um, Hennessy, like it's like what's up with that? I don't know. Yeah. It's, another, it's another hand hand yeah. wave thing. Yeah, and like after reading called on the hawk, the general like internet consensus was like, "Ooh, Liliana, Carmen, like this is going to be a thing," and like they were a thing, but like Liliana never was much more of a thing than really never ended up being as much of a thing as we thought that she was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, they had these moments here where like Lillian is about to, you know, 
turn the vision inward and, you know, basically die. So Carmen can see this. And she's basically like, you know, I've been selfish this whole time. I like always wanted to live. I always wanted to live. I was turning the visions outwards, you know, et cetera. But like, you're doing the morally right thing. And it's like, I don't even know like why Carmen's really doing the morally right thing other than the fact that it's her brother and she feels beholden to the world for mm-hmm. him because she feels like this is about her. So I don't or know. Just because she's like a lawful, what is it? Like a lawful good. I wouldn't even say lawful good, like lawful neutral yeah. kind of like character type. And I wrote um, this down here to myself, like maybe I relate to her too much, like being a bit of a rule follower personally, that's just not interesting to read, but it just, I don't know what, <laughs> this is another thing we said in our podcast episodes previously, like, especially after the end of called on the Hawk, we we're like, not totally on board with Carmen yet, but like, she has the potential to be my favorite series arc. Yeah. That did not happen. Spoiler alert for this little section yeah. that did not happen. And it really feels like, I feel like Maggie had a different plan for Liliana and then changed her yeah. mind somewhere along the line. That's what totally. it really feels like because the buildup, it's just not, it's just not there. Yeah. And I think it, I think it makes sense for Liliana to do what she does and like decide to make the sacrifice after, you know, living a hundred lifetimes of selfishness and self-preservation. Um and like maybe she was helped on this path by the fact that she's stuck in like a very old body now and she's destined to die like a very old person's death um without the ley line but i really don't yeah. feel like it was set up or motivated well enough for me or maybe like the timing was just bad um because the second like uh carmen and hennessy have their big first kiss she goes upstairs and runs immediately into liliana who takes her outside and is like hey i'm going to die now like that timing just makes it, it feels like it's connected to the act of Carmen kissing Hennessy. And yeah. I don't like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think too, like beyond the Carmen Liliana stuff, like Nathan doesn't super work for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Because it's like interesting. Okay, here's what's interesting. He dreamt the moderators okay cool fine but like well no because it said that all the moderators came from all different like some of them had been alive for a thousand years like then then like how did they start i know they talk about okay yeah you're right sorry so then Locke says like oh we basically start like doing nathan's bidding but it's it and i get it they like want to prune you know away what they can uh, protect what they believe their source to be, of, yeah. yeah waste and in in so that they can preserve their energy source sure but like that ultimately just feels like very disconnected from everything even though it is like the plot of the book if mm-hmm. that makes sense you know what i mean well and i'm happy to that we have been proven right in that nathan was way more important to the story than like a dead person should be because he wasn't dead um but he sucks and he's just not developed enough to be an interesting villain. Like I don't, I'm just not in, I'm bored by him. I don't care about him. I don't care what his motivations are. He's just, he's another nothing burger. Right. And so then for like, 
how Carmen relates to that, it 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 just like all doesn't add up to anything. Mm-hmm. Zero plus zero yeah, equals zero. Like exactly, it doesn't seem like Carmen and Nathan are connected by anything besides like the happenstance of their birth. Like yeah, right. Another um dangling thread that I still don't understand, which I only picked up on because we mentioned it in or I mentioned it in our last episode was how there was a copy of Locke who was murdered at the scene of somewhere where they went and they had a, a written on his shirt 30 pieces 30 silver pieces which is like a Judas Iscariot rec- uh, mm-hmm. reference that's how much he got for betraying Jesus and like why well, who was that like who did Locke betray like was Nathan like telling like I, I just have a lot there's a lot about like the plot of the last two books and how they like build into this that is not um making sense to me and maybe it will on reread but yeah just a lot of that's just kind of like, it, eh. it feels like uh like changed her mind yeah several ways several t- times along the way yeah but again it doesn't matter like these are five star books because of the characters that are most important to me and how yeah. much she nails that so like these are nitpicks ultimately mm-hmm. um actually i feel like we moved through a lot pretty um quickly there <laughs> To be honest. It turns out it's easy to just like like fly through something when yeah. you're very um, passionate about it. I do have one further comment I would like to make on um the epilogue. We talked about how I think it's like a perfect use of Gansey mm-hmm. in the epilogue. Um the the parallels to Ronan, which we already talked about. Um I'm just so happy to see him. I'm never not gonna be happy to see him. I love him so much. Um, but I would like to note for the record that Pando, which is um said by Ronan to Gansey Gledges for that whole Pando thing last year, whatever, is not a reference to the pandemic. It's capitalized in the epilogue. We kind of talked about this amongst ourselves when this book came out. Maggie did tweet shortly after this book came out that that was specifically something she put in the epilogue when she was considering writing um, a spinoff series about kind of Gansey and Blue and their adventures. And she ultimately decided not to do that and burned all her Raven cycle journals and everything and made this epilogue a very final epilogue. Um, but she advised readers to Google Pando four or five times. And essentially Pando is a colonial organism representing an individual male quaking aspen. So an aspen is a tree. They're a yellow tree. They grow a lot out west in particular. And there's just like massive amounts of them that are actually in reality one big living organism. And so when he says pando, he's talking about these like crazy tree things. So clearly Gansey and presumably Lou got up to some or went out shit with a some... Gansey and Blue adventure we never got. No, seriously. And you know who? Um, the only person, or not only person, the only people we have to blame for not getting that is ourselves, the fans, because apparently we just, as a collective, um, <laughs> ruined her desire to write any more of the series. So good job, fam. That, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not like just saying that. Like she said that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so good job. Anyway. Yeah, just her views of Gansey's that 
an odd assortment of characters to be at Declan's wedding. But Henry, like, why is Henry at Declan's wedding? Mom, but like, it was worth Henry being in the wedding just for, just for the Matthew Henry dream team. Yeah, carrying a table <laughs> with refreshments on it, and Gansey's like, I don't know why, but they seem very determined, and mm-hmm. that's all I could ask for for them. Um. So like that was odd to me. I loved seeing our friends from Foxway again. Why is Kala marrying them? I don't Does know. Kala even know Declan? Like, have they ever no. had a conversation? I know. It yeah. Whatever. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It it's it's the reunion we wanted. It's it's a little fan servicey, but I am never one to turn my nose up at fan no. service because I want it. I'm a fan. Right. Well, I want also, to be serviced. But there Thank was you. also a comment about like how Cal was the only one who trusted to file the paperwork, and I'm like, what? Maybe, <laughs> well, you're not going to you, trust Laura, I guess. Do you remember who Kala is? <laughs> um, I would have liked to have seen him, Mr. Gray. There. Just going to say that I know he's. Uh, oh, we didn't really talk about Adam's future yet. Well, I guess we're in the right section for it. Yeah. But um, yeah. I love that Maggie gave Adam exactly the future that like all the fandom has collectively mm-hmm. already decided for him. Like back in the Raven Cycle days, I cannot tell you how many like fanfics I've read where Adam was like some sort of mysterious government something or other, uh, working usually with the Gray Man. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it tracks. Well, yeah, no, it, it, I was going to say it totally tracks because, like, Mr. Gray has always, like, it appreciated those um, parts of Adam in mm-hmm. the main series. And, uh, yeah. And Declan, like, too. Yeah. They, they, yeah. But Adam is doing it, like, in a legitimate way. Mm-hmm. That's not, like, a crime. So that's yeah. great. Um, wow. We talked. <laughs> we did it. Oh. Okay, so Perlinas, one last time for the Raven yeah. Cycle crew. Here we go. Oh my God, don't say that. No, I know. I'm feeling very sentimental. Yeah, um, I have several quotes here. Favorite of course. Quotes. Um, I'll go first with one. Declan choked gently on the edge of a pacifier once, and after that, he required proof of concept that everything that was put in his mouth was food. He was an unfoolish child. Declan, our little pragmatic baby. Just, it's so Declan. I just love him so much. Yeah. I'm glad you put this on as your favorite because this was a contender for me. Go ahead. So this is uh, Matthew and um, Bride. And this is Bride. Imagine what this place would be if you did not have to beg at the feet of a painting for your life. Dudifer, you are the saddest dude I have ever met, Matthew told him. It's like you're always wet. Seems to me that if I had to learn to be sad, you have to learn to be happy. Why don't you draw a, I don't know, chinchilla or something instead of that uh, thing? Not that it's not good. What's a chinchilla? You're sort of a funny person, Matthew told him. You know a lot of stuff, but you're also pretty stupid. (laughs) I think I cried laughing the first time I read that. Well, and going into that is this quote i have written down hannah brought an extra pen would it make you feel better to draw a little something <laughs> for reference a little is spelled l i apostrophe l in the text mm-hmm. the world prepares to burn and we entertain ourselves with trinkets and crafts while pissing into bottles in the dark but bride sat up stiffly and accepted the scratch paper See, this is a perfectly cool time, Matthew said soothingly. I would read an entire book of those two just bouncing off of each other. (laughs) It's so so good. And literally everything that Matthew says in this book could be in my favorite quote section because 
he's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, my second one is it was splendid to watch Declan grow up in this land that would be his kingdom. He was an easy baby, an easy toddler, with a nearly instinctive understanding of all the things that could make babies go bunk. It's so good. And like I just also we didn't really talk about it in this way when it comes to Declan, but like Declan kind of being like the chosen one, the heir to the kingdom. You know, I, I like mm-hmm. that that is kind of acknowledged in this this book. Um, yeah. You know, we think of the Barnes as Ronin's, but it very clearly in the epilogue is all of theirs. And Declan's getting married there. And that makes sense. Like he's he's the king. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> this is my last quote. Um, I just thought it was very funny. This is at the end. Jordan and Hennessy are like hugging each other. And Jordan's about to say something like very nice and profound. And she goes, I thought Jordan began. Shh. Hennessy interrupted, pulling back. Shit's about to get real touching. And I worked too hard to not get the satisfaction of seeing it go down. She's talking about like <laughs> watching Adam and Ron. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I love a voyeur. I am one <laughs> yeah, Exactly. She is all of us in that moment. Like, shut up, everybody watch this. Like, number one pinch stand, Hennessy. And, and I'm also like, her yep. just like patting herself on the back for it because she's like, I made this happen. So yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they. Um, okay. Favorite character in arc, you can uh go first. Uh, I love my wife, Declan T. Lynch, is obviously pretty much all around, but I think Arc is um tied with Hennessy. I think she just she comes out incredible on this side. Um, but yeah, like ev- everybody, I don't know. I-, I love the Lynch bros, man. Lynch bros. Yeah. I'm gonna give um arc for the three book trilogy to Declan because I feel like it was the most clear cut across the three mm-hmm. and a very like big natural build. Um, I would give arc for this particular book to Ronan because I feel like he's really like flailing the first two books. And then in this third book, I really came to appreciate, especially on this read um, the stuff that Maggie does with him there character. I like don't want to choose um but I think that it's Declan because it hurts it hurts good you know we like it, it's related to pining is this yeah. sort of like anguished feeling that I get yeah exactly Declan hurts the most yeah. and so I love him the most Correct. because it hurts yeah. the most to think about him absolutely all right and favorite swoon let's see here uh Okay, you have a few. I like how you have noted the entirety of the epilogue. Yeah, so I have three things, one one of which is the entirety of the epilogue. And it's like, it's true. I have romantic soon. I have friendship soon. I have like Mm -hmm. reunion soon. I have all the soon. But you have some nice moments in the epilogue too that you'll ultimately read. So um, I'll read this one first. This one, like, again, because I like pain, this quote like felt painful to me. And that's why I included it. It was always going to be this way, he said blandly. Jordan, it was always going to be this way. Our story was always a tragedy. Posse, it wasn't, she said. Not yours, Declan said. The Lynch families, the Lynch brothers. It was written before I was born. Mine was too. I rewrote it. I saw the angel in the marble and carved it until you set it free. Declan finished the Michelangelo quote for her. Yes, you did, Jordan. But he was still trapped in stone. Like, I just think that that's so... um, such a beautiful quote to use there such a beautiful 
um, tie-in of their love of art and how at that particular point, it doesn't seem like it might work out for them. Um, but then to piggyback off of that, when uh, Declan's about to go into the fairy market and start some shit, he texts Jordan, you were the story I chose for myself. Like, yeah. What a, oh, what man. A beautiful, beautiful, just a couple passages there from Maggie. Ooh. Your turn. All right. I want to be happy, Declan said in a matter of fact tone. I'm tired of feeling guilty. I want to take you to dinner and then I want to go to Schnee's opening. She made a face. Schnee, what an asshole. I don't want to go to his opening. I'm not putting on fake eyelashes for that. And then Declan continued as if she had not interjected. I want to make an enormous scene proposing very publicly to you at the after party. So it completely overshadows his opening. There's and there's just something so domestic and like almost clannish about that exchange. Just like sharing that joke together and then they fall into like this very comfortable domestic night. Um, Not even really like talking to each other, but just like, you know, they're working like he's checking his emails. She's painting. um, They're just sharing space and it's just very comfortable and domestic. And I really love that Ronan witnesses that moment and like sees his brother happy. And it's. Yeah. Okay. Um. This is when Ronan and Adam find each other in the dream space. <laughs> and yet when Adam's consciousness touched his, Ronan recognized him. It was Adam's footstep on the stairs, his surprised whoop as he catapulted into the pond. They dug the irritation in his voice, the impatience in his kiss, his ruthless dry sense of humor, his brittle pride, his ferocious loyalty. It was all cut up in this essential form that had nothing to do how- with how his physical body looked. Just, they really like each other, Tasha, <laughs> and I really like them too. Yeah, right. I wasn't going to touch. She started, but then Hennessy used her wrist to pull her close. Hennessy kissed her. It was not Liliana's sweet kisses. This is a whole body situation, a whole day situation. Hennessy gripped her close, and the moment Fruit Plains' lips opened, she bit one of them. There was not a single part of the kiss that did not firmly underline that Hennessy, the person, felt exactly the same way about Fruit Plain as Hennessy, the artist. Opera burst through every speaker in the house. Strings coursing, harpsichord galloping, voice clean and high as a cloudless day. What a great! I mean, an yeah maggie really nails these like 99 percent of the time but just yeah. it's so visceral it's so yeah. just you're there you know it's it's great it's so you descriptive know what, you know what they kind of remind me of like mm-hmm. you ever read a romance that's like a single pov which isn't my preference i always nearly always prefer a yeah. dual pov <laughs> i know we have carmen povs in this book but like this feel satisfying to me in the way that a single POV can feel satisfying in that like I can really just coast by on like one person's feelings being very intense and then the kissing being very good mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm I'm on board with that so yeah great and finally after nearly everyone had gone to bed Ronan and Adam lay on their backs on one of the roofs and watched the stars together Without taking his eyes off the sky, Ronan reached out his hand to Adam to offer him something. It was a ring. Without taking his eyes off the sky, Adam took it and put it on. Perfect them. A perfect them proposal. Perfect. No notes. The fact that we got a fucking proposal in this book, Margaret. 
It's like that would have been if it hadn't been included, it still would have been fucking fantastic. And the proposal would have been in everybody's like fanfics. Like there would have been a billion proposal yeah. scenes like the next day that was like just after um uh Grey Warren, like deleted scene kind of thing, but nope, it's there and we have it and we are so well fed. Yeah, we are so well fed, and that's what's like great about the fact that this you know, she decided that this was the end because it gives us these bows that we might mm-hmm. not have had for a long time, if ever. Um, and I think it does kind of explain to you like why it feels like there is so much more Adam in this book. And it's like very surprising in a fun way because she realized like this was going to be it. And, you know, that's a gift. Um, and I also really love the continuation of Gansey being like the number one pinch shipper. Oh when he's God, like, yes. uh, so what what do you think? Do you want this one day? Like referring to the wedding and and Ronan's like, yeah, I think so. And he's like, oh, good. Because <laughs> I asked Adam earlier and he said the same thing. Exactly. There's so many great moments. Like basically every other character in this book clocks how much they mean to each other. Like mm-hmm. Carmen looks at them at one point and was like, even if you didn't know, like just the way like their bodies are like angling toward each other. It's, oh, it's so good and romantic. Mm-hmm. I feel good about them being my OTP. Nothing in this uh, book change that just tightened it. Yep. So great. Still doing great over here. (laughs) Tasia, that's it. We did it. We did it. It's so bittersweet. It is really bittersweet. Um, It was so great again to have this a bit of a delay because it extended the fun and the love. Um, Not that it'll ever go away, but it, it was fun to revisit it um especially with some space yeah and I do think too that like for me this trilogy isn't ever ever going to top the raven cycle Mm -hmm. um because all of those characters mean so much to me and I can't say that here but what she gives us for the characters that like really really matter to me is it's so good. Yeah. And as as like a day one Declan stand, like it's very satisfying to yeah. get to give him like a, a complete arc. And I love I love that. But yeah, I mean the Raven cycle is always. I mean, what are we gonna do without Gansey? I know. That sweet, sad little boy. I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe 2023 will yet yeah, bring a, a full Raven cycle reread. Yeah. Yeah, so we should do it. It's been a long time. I used to do it at least once a year, a full reread, yeah. but I haven't done it in a couple of years. There's a lot of other books out there, but mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll do that someday. But if not for now, this was um, a great way to end. And potting about it with you was a great way to end, mm-hmm. um, especially since this is, you know, again, why we started the podcast in the first place. Let's talk about these books. And this has easily been like the most requested episode in our long absence. This is the one that people are like, you guys are still coming back 100%. for this, right? We yeah. promise. And here we are. And um, this isn't the end for us. We actually have like a couple of things coming. I won't we say what do. they are because like I don't want to commit to a schedule since we've been mm-hmm. a little haphazard. Um, but we're gonna have a couple other things that we definitely want to do in the very near future. So keep checking your podcast feeds, friends, because we'll hopefully be there soon. Um, before we go, Tasia, where can friends connect with you online? Oh, and also tell them about your new podcast. Oh, yeah. So I am on a True Blood Rewatch podcast with a couple of friends. It's called Fang Bangers 
of course. What else would it be called? Yes. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Bangbangers Pod. I think Blue Sky Twitter, all of those uh, same handle everywhere, pretty much. Blue. Uh, I'm sorry. Blue. Where was that? Uh, Fangbangers Pod. I think we're we've recorded up to like episode six. I think a couple. I think the first two episodes are out already. So yeah, give it a listen. It is fun. It's chaotic, corny friends rewatching chaotic, corny True Blood. So that's, that's a good great. time. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram at Ragey Cakes. I am on Instagram, allegedly still at run <laughs> underscore rates. I mean, like I do check the account. You can find me there. I do not post anymore, but that's okay. Uh, life changes and moves on. Um, but you can also find the podcast on Instagram, Twitter. I think that's it. At, um, Act Age. And you can choose the email if you'd like to actually pod at gmail.com. You tell it's getting late. It's recording. Yeah. I am like a dreamer without a sweet metal. I too am shutting down. (laughs) She's approaching her twilight. It is time to go. I am. Uh, I need someone is going to come like Declan and pull the locket off my neck. And then I will wake at some time in the future. Um, You can shoot us an email if you like. (laughs) fghpod at gmail.com if you have thoughts theories about like some of these unanswered questions we'd love to hear them if we get enough maybe we'll do like a little mailbag episode or something but yeah i would love to hear more about what people think about the lace the night wash etc absolutely yeah Um, somebody who just has that maybe a clearer read on it than we do i don't know i want to hear all of it i do too all right friends thanks so much for tuning in and hopefully we'll see you really soon yay bye bye